Well, we are starting a new series here this morning at Rooftop <clears throat> called Summer in the Sun. And the question that we're attempting to answer during this series is the question that that video was asking as well. Who is Jesus? Who do we say he is? Who does he say he is? The reason we're asking that question is because it might just be the most important question we'll ever ask, or the most important question we'll ever be asked. There's a very good chance that when we die and when we meet God and after he says hello and we exchange pleasantries, hey, God, how's it going? Good to be here. It's a very good question, a very good um, reason to think that the first question we're going to be asked is that. So, who is Jesus to you? That's important. A great many of us here this morning call ourselves followers of Christ. What's a Christ? How would we define that term to someone who asked us? I mean, to make Jesus known to the world is the reason we exist as a church. Jesus is the way to hope, to salvation, to life. But who is he? I mean, in order to make Jesus known to the world, you've got to kind of understand who he is. I mean, that's something that I, as Rooftop's leader, want to make sure we have down here at Rooftop. Who is Jesus? We talk a lot about a lot of things here at Rooftop. We just finished a nine-week sermon series on work. It was great. We've talked about other things too. Church, family, relationships, marriage, culture, a community. We do a lot of Bible study here. Just spent two years on Romans. And it's all good. It's all important. But I want to make sure, maybe more than anything, that we are experts when it comes to this question. Who is Jesus? And that's what we're going to talk about this summer then. This summer in the sun. We're going to talk about who Jesus is. And to try to answer that question of who Jesus is, we're going to study the many different names and titles that Jesus used and that other people used uh, in reference to Jesus. Names and titles can help us understand who someone is. You can learn a lot about someone by understanding their name. You can learn a lot about Pope Francis, for example, by understanding the name Pope Francis. Pope Francis is not his name. His actual name is Jorge Mario Bergoglio. When he became the Pope, which means Papa, uh, he took the name Francis in honor of St. Francis of Assisi because he wanted to serve the poor like St. Francis of Assisi did. You can learn a lot about Jay-Z the rapper by thinking about the name Jay-Z. Not his name either. Why is his name Jay-Z? Jay-Z, because he grew up in New York City. Oh, Jay-Z, I get it. Jeremy Zilke. <laughs> Jay-Z in the house! Different Jay-Z, though. <laughs> Jay-Z the rapper is called Jay-Z because he grew up in New York City next to the Jay-Z subway line. And because when he was young, a young boy, he just sang and danced around, and everybody called him Jazzy. A stage name was born. Names and titles can tell us a lot about someone, and this is especially true of Jesus. There are dozens and dozens of names used in Scripture in reference to Jesus. And each of them have something very important to tell us about his identity, his character, his relationship to God, his, his role in history. And during the series, then, we're going to study a different name of Jesus every week. Names and titles like Lord, Messiah, Savior, Mediator, Son of Man, Son of David, Logos, Teacher. And we're going to start this morning with one of the most common, but not necessarily easiest to understand names. Jesus as the Son of God. 
Since the earliest days, the Christian church has understood Jesus to be the Son of God. The phrase, Son of God, actually occurs more than 124 times in its derivatives, the Son, my Son, occurs more than 124 times in reference to Jesus in the New Testament. The Gospel of Mark introduces itself this way, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus' disciples called him the Son of God. After Jesus calms the sea, Matthew writes that the disciples marveled, truly you are the Son of God. The Apostle Paul preached that Jesus was the Son of God. As in Corinthians, we preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus himself called himself the Son of God. I am God's Son. Hard to mistake that one. God called Jesus his son from heaven, notably at his baptism, you are my son whom I love. Even some of Jesus' enemies called him the son of God. After crucifying him, a Roman centurion remarked, surely this man was the son of God. Demons called Jesus the son of God. During a particularly dramatic exorcism, they screamed, what do you want with us, son of God? And for centuries, Christians have recited that Jesus is the Son of God. In the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son. So it is a core Christian belief that Jesus of Nazareth came into the world as the Son of God. But of course, that's easy to say, but harder to understand. It raises all kinds of questions. Lots of questions that if you're a thoughtful type, you're already wondering. Like, how is Jesus the Son of God? Did God, like, give birth to him? How did that happen? And if Jesus is God's human son, whose DNA does he have? Human beings are created by the combination of DNA from a mom and a dad. His earthly mother was Mary. Joseph was his adoptive father. Uh, Mary was somehow impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Does Jesus have divine DNA from God, his father's side? Does God even have DNA? Here's another question. Was Jesus always God's son, or did he become God's son at some particular time? Was Jesus God's son in heaven? Did God the Father, like, build a playground for his son Jesus in heaven? Or did he become God's son? Is it more of an earthly role? Also, could Jesus have come as the daughter of God? Is Jesus a son because he's actually male? Could he have come as a daughter, as a female? Here's another question. Why should we even believe that Jesus is God's son because he said so? Other historical figures have actually claimed to be God's son. Julius Caesar claimed to be God's son. Should we believe him too? If I claim to be God's son, should you believe me? No. <laughs> Just so we're clear. <laughs> For lots of reasons. Lots of questions about this topic. Honestly, we could chase any number of theological rabbits this morning and going after these questions. But there's really only two important questions that I want to focus in on this morning. Those other questions that I raised, you can read about those if you're interested in that stuff, just so, we clear, just so we're clear. I have no intention of actually answering those questions. I just raised them. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> Raise questions I don't answer. Welcome to Rooftop. Just try to throw you off a little bit. But there are a couple questions I genuinely do try, want to try to answer for you this morning. First, what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God. What are we talking about? And second, why is that important? 
Why is it important that Jesus is the Son of God? Because, spoiler alert, it is. So let's start with the first. What does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? This itself is actually a pretty difficult question. The phrase Son of God means that Jesus is somehow related to God as his only child. Jesus is the unique Son of God, the only begotten Son, for that matter. The only begotten Son. Even though we can all, in some way, become children of God, uh, Jesus is God's unique Son in a way that we will never be. But still, what does that mean? What does it mean to be the unique Son of God? Well, in order to understand what it means that Jesus is the Son of God, I first need to remind you of something that your English teacher taught you in high school, or something that your English teacher taught you in middle school if you went to a private school, or something that you learned in kindergarten if you were homeschooled. <laughs> I need to remind you what a metaphor is. You know what a metaphor is? According to the dictionary, a metaphor is a figure of speech in which a term or phrase is applied to something to which it is not literally applicable in order to suggest a resemblance. For example, a mighty fortress is our God. It's an old hymn. Anybody know that old hymn? A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark. What's a bulwark? Never failing. I never figured out what a bulwark is, but God is a bulwark. Is God... A fortress. No. Is he like a fortress in that he protects us from sin and death? Yes. That's what a metaphor is. A metaphor is a term or phrase applied to something else in order to draw out a resemblance, a similarity. In this case, protection, strength. Now, in a way, in a way, Jesus is not the Son of God as we literally think of a son at least not in human terms. In human terms, a son is the male offspring of the combined genetic material from a, a mom and a dad. Jesus is certainly God's son, unique son, in some sort of mysterious divine way, but not in the way we think of, not in the sense that he was a product of a mom and a dad. No, sonship is a metaphor used to convey something. It's God using our ideas and language to communicate with us. And this is important because the nature of divine realities are too mysterious for us to grasp. We're going to have a really hard time understanding the nature of God's relationship to Jesus. God's personhood is far beyond our ability to comprehend. So God uses language and ideas we're not familiar with to help us understand himself. We might not understand God very well. We might not understand God's relationship to Jesus, but we know what a son is. A lot of us have them. We know what a father is. All of us have those. So God uses the metaphor of son to convey something to us about Jesus. Convey what, though? Well, that's what we have to think about. If Jesus isn't, at least literally in human terms, God's son, in what sense is he God's son? Well, what's the point of the metaphor? Really, we don't need to think that hard to answer this question. What do we learn about Jesus when we think of him as the son of God? Well, what does the idea of being a son imply? It implies several things. It implies, for example, likeness. Lots of sons resemble their dads, their moms, like Gordon Ramsay's kid. Daughters do too. 
Sometimes when I go visit the rooftops room on the other side of the building, I just see little versions of parents I know. <laughs> Cooper Stone looks exactly like his dad, Justin Stone. Ruby Game looks like her mom. Lois Game, like her dad. This is one of the points of the metaphor, that Jesus is like God. As Jesus himself says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Being a son conveys likeness. Jesus is like God the Father. Also, being a son conveys intimacy. I know this isn't always true. You can go to the next slide. Intimacy. Intimacy. Yeah. Aw, sweet. I know this isn't always true, but sons tend to know their fathers, and fathers tend to know their sons, at least good ones do. I know my dad so well, I know my dad so well, that I can actually predict his sentences. I know exactly what he's getting ready to say, before he even says it. I don't know if you know your dad that well. I know my dad so well that, that I can interpret, like, the slightest alteration of his facial expression. As the Son of God the Father, Jesus knows God like no one else does. He can predict his sentences and interpret his facial expressions. As Jesus says, no one knows the Father but the Son. I know my dad. Something else the metaphor of Son conveys is privilege. 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 Sons are their father's heirs, just like Simba, expected to receive his father's land. All that the light touches is yours. <laughs> Except the dark shadowy place over there. Don't go to the dark shadowy place. I said don't go to the dark shadowy place. But all that the light touches is yours. Especially in the ancient world, sons are privileged by their dad. Especially oldest sons, especially only sons, as Jesus is. Sons get the blessing, the inheritance. And because God is fabulously wealthy... And because God is fabulously powerful, Jesus is fabulously privileged. He's the son of a king in line for the throne. He is Prince George with a beard and a crown of thorns, which we'll get to. Without apology, God the Father is determined to open every door he needs for his son. Psalm 2 from the Old Testament is often quoted in reference to Jesus as God's son. God the Father says this in the psalm, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. All that the light touches will be yours. So the idea that Jesus is God's son might be literally true in some mysterious divine sort of way that it's going to be hard for us to grasp, but it's also a metaphor God uses to help us grasp some important aspects of who Jesus is. We might not understand God, but we can understand son. The metaphor of Jesus as God's son tells us that Jesus is like God, that Jesus knows God, and that Jesus is privileged by God. What about that other question, though? We've talked about the first question. What does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? But what about the second? Why is this important? Let's get selfish. What does this mean for us? I mean, who cares? So what? What does it mean for us that Jesus is the Son of God? Good for him, right? Whoop-de-doo, you have a big, powerful dad. So what? Who cares? Why is this important? Well, it's important that Jesus is the Son of God for so many reasons, so many reasons that we're not going to even be able to cover this morning. For starters, though, 
It is important that Jesus is the Son of God because it puts his sacrifice on the cross in perspective. Jesus wasn't some dude. He wasn't some random Messiah figure. He was God's only son, and he died on a cross. Imagine watching your only son suffer and die a painful death. Trust me, it's every parent's worst nightmare. Why would God allow the murder of his one and only son? Because he understood it was the price to pay for humanity's sin. As much as he loved Jesus, he also loves us, so he let his one and only son volunteer for the task of dying for our sins because he knew that needed to happen. As John writes famously in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. The only way that God is going to let that happen, let those murderers have his son, is if he knew that it had to happen so that we could be forgiven of our sins. But the main reason that I think it's important that Jesus is the Son of God is actually something else. The main reason I think it's important that Jesus is the Son of God is because it means this. It means that the way to get to know God is to get to know his son. The way to get to know God the Father is to get to know the Son. That's one of the key applications to the divine sonship of Jesus, that the way to get to know God is to get to know his Son. This is precisely why God came into the world as a man, so that we could get to know him. This is what we celebrate on Easter, the incarnation of the God of the universe as a man, as a child, as a son, so that we can get to know him as a man, as a child, as a son, in terms we can understand. Jesus is the spitting human image of God. As the author of Hebrews says, the Son is the radiance, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The Father and Son are so closely related that to know one is to know the other. As we get to know Jesus, we get to know God. We get to know what's important to him, his concern for the poor and the disenfranchised. We get to know his hatred of hypocrisy. We get to know his super high uh, moral standards. We get to know his quickness to forgive, his eternal perspective. These things are important to God, and we know they're important to God because why? They were important to Jesus. If we want to get to know God, we've got to get to know his son. This is important because a lot of people want to get to know God. I mean, 98% of the world believes in God. Generally speaking, people want to believe and understand who God is. I know we might know some people who don't, but generally speaking, people want to understand and believe in God. Very rarely will you meet someone who just doesn't believe or doesn't want to get to know him. I mean, he's God. Most people understand that eventually they're going to have to meet God. So they want to get to know him, at least a little bit. But as you know, God can be kind of hard to get to know. I mean, God is invisible. God is mysterious. God is complicated. God is transcendent, beyond what we can possibly comprehend. 
We are tiny, ignorant, puny human creatures with little brains. For us to get to know God is like an ant trying to understand a human. All an ant thinks when an ant looks up and sees a human, all an ant thinks is, Compared to God, we are smaller than ants. Squish. The good news for us is that God still wants to be known. God is a transcendent God of love. So he became an ant. He became the ant man, if you will. So we could have ant conversation with our antennas. I need to work on my impersonation of ants having conversations. (laughs) He became a human, the son of the father, so we could get to know him. And as we get to know the son, we're not getting to know someone like God, we're getting to know God, because in terms of character and personality and interests and passions and values, there is no daylight between who the father is and who the son is. The son is like the father. Anyone who has seen the son has seen the father. I'm going to share a uh, slightly dangerous illustration here. Dangerous because it's slightly political, but what the heck? You only live once. I just turned 45. It's all downhill from here anyway. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) I'm not really sure what you are amening. Uh, When President Trump When President Trump doesn't have time to meet with someone important, oftentimes, who will he send in his place? His children. His kids, Donald Jr., Eric, Ivanka. I've heard that for all practical purposes, getting to meet with a member of the Trump family is even more of a privilege than, you know, getting to meet with maybe even a member of the cabinet or a member of the the chief of staff. I mean, the president might even be more likely to listen to his children than to his staff. But even with this privilege, you can, you can understand this, some people don't want to meet with Ivanka. They don't want to meet with Junior. They don't want to meet with Eric. They want to meet with the president. They don't understand that in meeting with his offspring, they're basically meeting with the president himself, at least as far as they'll ever get. Nobody reflects the priorities and interests of the president as much as his children do. Nobody has his ear as much as his kids do. Now, for very different reasons, God the Father is largely inaccessible to us. Now, he's not inaccessible because he doesn't have time for us and he's too busy for us or we can't get through security or he doesn't care what we think. He's inaccessible to us because he's God and beyond what we can perceive and understand as ants but he still wants to meet with us so that we can get to know him. So he sent his son. He sent the Ant-Man. And here's the thing, and this is important, and I don't know if you're paying attention this morning, but please, at this point, check back in, because here it is. Much of God's opinion for us, God's regard for us, depends on how willing we are to meet with his son. Much of God's opinion of us and regard for us depends on precisely how willing we are to meet with his son. I mean, how would you feel if you were the president and somebody refused to meet with your child in your stead? 
How would you feel if you were the queen? Here's the queen. Here's the queen. The queen is coming. There's the queen. How would you feel if you were the queen if you heard somebody tell your boy, Prince Charles, do respect Prince Charles, but I insist on meeting with the queen. I did not come to meet with you. I came to meet with the queen. How would mom feel about that? I know I'm not the queen, but speaking for myself, I would have no interest in meeting with anyone who doesn't care to meet with my kid. So it is with God. Not only is it true that if we want to get to know God, we must come to know his son, but it's equally true that if we reject the son, we reject the father. Jesus says this too. In the Gospel of John, the father loves the son, shows him all he does. The Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I mean, this makes sense, right? I'm not going to be that eager to meet with someone who ignores my child, especially, especially when my child is just as powerful and important as I am. I mean, if someone wants to meet with me and I say, well, I'm sorry, but for various reasons, that's not possible, but here is my son, and he can do everything I can do. I've given him all the power and all the glory in the universe. He's very available, and generally speaking, people really respond very well to him. And if I said that, and they said, no, not interested, I insist on meeting with you, then I will say, well, neither then am I interested in meeting with you. No one who disrespects the son gets in to see the father. Those people can go jump in a lake of fire. God loves his son too much to let us insult his son like that. God understands what his son went through on the cross. He's not going to let us ignore that sacrifice he made so that we could bypass it. If you're here this morning and you want to get to know God, as I hope you do, you already know that's hard. Again, God is invisible, mysterious, transcendent, inaccessible to ants. But God still wants to know you. God wants to be known. So he sent his son. The son is everything the father is. The son can do everything the father can. To see the son is to see the father. To reject the son is to reject the father. Now that leads us to one final question. One final question. Up here on the board. How do we get to know the son? That's actually pretty simple. We don't need to overthink this one. I know you guys think I overthink things too much. We don't need to overthink this one. How do we get to know the Son? We read the story of his life. We read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read those Gospels like we've never read anything. We let the Holy Spirit speak to us through those pages. We study them. We memorize them inside and out. And we learn from others what they've learned about the Son. We come to church to learn about the Son. We come to church regularly to learn about the Son. We insist that the preacher tell us about the Son. And at the end of the service, if the preacher didn't tell us anything about the Son, we go up to the preacher and we say, tell us more about the Son. I'm not leaving until you tell me about the Son. We pray desperately for the Son to reveal himself to us. We read other books too. You know I like to read. Not just because it's personal obsession, although it is. It's because of how I get to know God. One of the most important books that I ever read about Jesus was this one, The Jesus I Never Knew, by Philip Yancey. He's my homeboy. G Philip Yancey and Jesus. Jesus, 
big homeboy. Philippians, he like, little homeboy. Um, Yancey helped me take my blinders off so that I could get to know Jesus in a whole new way. Even if you think you know Jesus, there's a really good chance that you don't know Jesus like you, you think you know Jesus. We, we believe in the Jesus we want to believe in, maybe, but maybe not the Jesus who actually lived. I was leading a Bible study several years ago. It was a Bible study on Jesus. I thought that was appropriate. And I just wanted to know what people wanted to know about Jesus. So I gave everybody a blank sheet of paper. I said, take 10 minutes. Write down questions you have about Jesus. Just questions. I want to know what questions you have about Jesus. And then we shared. And some of the questions were really interesting, really fascinating. Like, what was Jesus like as a kid? Why did the Gospels not tell us about that? Um, at what point did Jesus know he was the Son of God? Did he, like, wake up one morning? Like, hey, something's different about me. What was that like? And it was just a fascinating question-sharing moment. And we got to this guy, a little more established, been around church a long time, said, do you have any questions about Jesus? And he turned his paper over and said, nope. It was blank. No questions. I know Jesus. I said, okay, next. I was thinking, you don't know squat, mister. A lot of us think we know Jesus, but we don't. Anyway, I highly recommend this book. I'd loan it to you, but you'd like it too much, and I would never get it back from you, and I'd end up hating you, <laughs> and Jesus wouldn't like that. I know Jesus well enough to know he doesn't like that. So, mine. <laughs> so that's why it's important that Jesus is the Son of God, because it means that when we get to know him, we get to know God. We get to know our creator. People who know Jesus know God. So question, do you know Jesus? Do you know what he likes? Do you know what he doesn't like? Do you know what he said? Do you know what he values? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he did for you? And dying on the cross. There is no greater knowledge in the universe than what we can learn about God through his son, Jesus Christ. There is no greater knowledge in the universe than what we can learn about God through his son, Jesus Christ. It is a miracle and privilege beyond comprehension to be able to know the God of creation through the person of his son. We dare not offend our heavenly father by God not getting to know his boy. Let's pray. Father, this is a mysterious notion that our tiny ant brains cannot grasp what it means that Jesus came into the world as your son. However that is, whatever it looks like, we know what we have to take from it. that the Son knows the Father, that in the Son we see the Father, and that all the privileges, all the power, all the authority that lies in heaven has been given to your Son.
thank you for the privilege of knowing what we know about you through the revelation of your son, your one and only son. Open our minds and our hearts up to what that knowledge means. For starters, what it means that you gave up your son on the cross, your one and only son. We will never really understand the significance, the depth of that sacrifice, but help us come close. And help us proclaim, proclaim boldly here in St. Louis and around the world not just Jesus, but Jesus as the Son of God, the representation of God, the heir to the throne, the one who rules over all, the one who deigned to come to earth as an ant, as a man, so that we can get to know him. And give us passion here at Rooftop to know the Son, to study his word, to obey it, to live it, to share it. Please bless our study this summer as we get to know the sun. I want us to be experts. There's lots of things we can talk about. We're a Christian church. We follow Jesus. Show us who he is. Pray these things in his name. And by the power of your Holy Spirit.